Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 54 of Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He's the co-founder and managing director of IIOTWorld.com. He's an entrepreneurial software engineer with global business leadership experience and a passion for digital transformation. He's been working in the industrial software and automation industry since 1998, holding various positions in software development, product development, training, pre-sales, global product management, merger and acquisition integration, and global marketing. He served as the World Trade Center Cleveland representative for Eastern Europe, as a board member for the PromisePartner.biz and a lecturer at Cleveland State University. He was also selected to represent the United States in Europe on technology and services for the economic trade mission led by Dr. Samuel Bodman, Undersecretary of the U.S. Department of Commerce. He currently serves on the Board of Industry Advisors, Engineering, Technology, Cleveland State University. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome the one and only Lucian Fogaros. Welcome. Thank you, Abraham. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for joining. How's your day going? Doing great. If only my mother would hear all of those things. <laughs> you know, I seem to have this effect on everybody. <laughs> Our last guest said the exact same thing. So, Lucian, you know, what's really interesting, I read a report this morning that KCOR Analytics ranks IIoT World as the number one influencer on industrial IoT, and you're also ranked in the top 10 for Industry 4.0. Yes, it's, it's something that's surprising us every day. Uh, when we started IIoT World, we, we didn't go out there to become an influencer, if you will. We look basically to educate on what's real. There's a lot of reports from Gardner to IDC to ARC around the amount of value that's going to get created over the next few years with connected devices. And given my background and Carolina's background, the two co-founder IIoT World, we went out there as like to educate, and that's what I think it's, it's uh, sharing great content was one of the contributing factors for getting ranked there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the key thing to being an influencer is actually what you share, because by sharing, that's how you get influence. Correct. Great. So, Lucian, tell me a little bit about IoT World and what are the types of things it focuses on? Sure. So IoT World was basically one life in February during the IoT evolution. Uh, we uh, registered during the same time at a couple of conferences, one focusing operational technology folks that folks uh, or professionals that would uh, basically uh, run a plant or would be automating a plant or industrial process, as well as the IT folks. Uh, and and uh, we've decided to go for the IoT Evolution Florida. What we do today, we are educating folks anywhere from topics on smart manufacturing, smart city, uh, predictive analytics, predictive maintenance. And uh, given the amount of hype on the market studies or, or, or the media that happens, we decided to, to take an approach of, let's bring the subject matter experts and share their story and basically provide that story to the world so, so other people would be getting inspired to say, I can leverage that in my plant or I can leverage in my city or I can leverage that into my industrial process and so on. So today we basically, we, we post articles on a daily basis. We have a newsletter. We are partner with over 160 companies, if you will, anywhere from events 
to contributing to our site from all over the globe. We got contributors from all over the globe. Um, and basically, uh, we're looking at other options right now as, as well as maybe some certifications. We're uh, uh, on industrial cybersecurity, industrial IoT, as well as smart manufacturing. Nice. Let's talk a little bit about predictive maintenance. One of the things about the industrial IoT is that it's really helping businesses reduce their operating costs and uh, reduce waste because it, it seems like such a colossal waste to take down a whole factory for maintenance to replace working parts when you don't have to. That's correct. There's such an opportunity in, in that area alone. That's, I, I, I classify it as a low-hanging fruits to get started in the industrial IoT uh, if, with the predictive maintenance. If you look at the industrial space, it used to be a CapEx expenditure to invest, to get started. Now you can actually leverage a, a monthly credit card expenditure and try a new solution to, to solve a problem, whether it is uh, improving the downtime by leveraging one of the solution uh, or whether it is basically uh, making the process more efficient and, and, and so on. So predictive maintenance seems to be a case study uh, that, that people can put their arms around it and essentially justify a project to getting started in the industrial IoT. But there are a lot more in other areas and, and we can explore further. Wow, so that's fascinating information. So with predictive maintenance, they could actually subscribe to one of the as-a-service kind of solutions instead of having to go out and buy all the IoT gear themselves. That is correct. If you look at it, I, I, back about 20 years ago when I started my career, we merged a startup company with an industrial computer. Industrial computer anywhere at that time cost from $3,000 to as much as $18,000. Now you can actually embed it into, let's say we put a, a, a tablet into a uh, enclosure that's waterproof, that's basically vibration proof and so on. And it, what, what it actually happens, that particular, now it's a thousand dollars device, but it can also get some more factors such as temperature, such as uh, vibration into it. And it could also have some data that you will say, hey, if you drop this one more time, you already dropped it 12 times, the 13 times actually this may break. So this is a simple example, but if you look at the machines, there are various ways to predict the failure of the machine and that could cost quite a lot of money. We've, you know, if you look at, depending on the industry, anywhere from automotive to uh, material handling and so on, it varies on the cost, but it costs a lot of money the company, so it's better to just change it prior to the failure happening. Yeah, yeah, and especially, if something on that has moving parts breaks, it could potentially affect everything down the line. Correct. Yeah, if you, if you look at, you know, there's an example down, down the street from here, actually three hours south, there's an airplane on Termac and that, that airplane lands at, you know, 11 o'clock, it's got three hours to and waiting for the boxes to be loaded. If the conveyor belt that loads those boxes in fails, there's a lot of cost involved to keep that yeah. airplane in Termac. If you can predict when that happens, it's a lot cheaper to replace that, that motor and, and, and make sure the airplane leaves on time. For sure. You, you schedule some downtime off hours and fix the motor in 10 minutes and you're up and running. Correct. Nice. Now, have you worked with any uh, automotive applications? 
done a lot of automotive application. It's, 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 it's funny, uh, my, my digital transformation process started uh, back in 2012. However, I've been in this business for over 20 years. Uh, uh, back in the days when I was Zycom Automation, a PC-based controls and software company, later acquired by Schneider Electric, I worked quite a bit in, in the automotive. In fact, I've been to pretty much all of the traditional automotive plants in Detroit area, but also some of the Japanese plants and German plants in, in the North America. I've also had the opportunity to mention about 2012, leveraging LinkedIn, I lent an opportunity to do consulting for Ford Motor Company in Camasari, Brazil. And that's wow. something just uh, leveraging technology to learn about the opportunity. And within a seven days, uh, landed a nice opportunity for six months in Brazil, uh, having a nice housing right across, uh, right on the ocean, and basically uh, go on a daily basis to help get started with a new line, the Eco, Eco Sport car, uh, and, and sequencing various robots in the automotive. Wow. So there's two things I want to talk about, <laughs> for sure, the robots, but just a quick note, that's a fantastic success story. We just had an episode about uh, utilizing digital technology for sales and how the social and emotional engagement is still kind, it's still the same as it's always been, right? You're communicating with people but you're just leveraging the technology in order to gain greater scale and reach. That is correct. If I look at any of the uh, social slash professional uh, sites, whether it's LinkedIn that I've mentioned, a little bit of a, of a success story that I personally went through in 2012 while I was vacationing in Dominican Republic. Uh, the second one I've mentioned, Twitter. It's been very, very helpful uh, not just on, on improving customer service, and I could mention some ex, some examples on that when I leveraged that to to reach out uh, to a, a major airline and essentially uh, sharing how they display one thing and yet their representative, particularly in some area of the world, they're not necessarily walking to walk and talking to talk and following the rules and managed to get upgrades on that. But also, if I look at IoT World this year alone, it's a 10-month startup, that basically the first nine customers came from Twitter. It's only the two after that came from events. And, and trust me, we've been to a lot of events this year. In fact, we're just looking at 2017, about 36 events. We've had, we had representation. And in many cases, I was part of those. I think in a six-week period, I was part of nine out of 11 that I went live from East Coast to West Coast and, and also leveraging some, some European presence. Uh, with true contributors. But but to get back to the social, I want to make sure when we started this is that we we are looking, okay, LinkedIn, Twitter, those have been instrumental for us, but also some other ones like Google+. Plus. Hmm. So you're the first one that mentioned Google+. Plus. Uh, I haven't seen too much on there and maybe it's because I'm not looking. So what kind of engagement is on Google+. Plus? So it's similar to any of the networks. What you put in is what you get out. And uh, if, if you're focusing, and that's what I would recommend the audience, is focus on one or two and do it, do it great. And if you have more bandwidth, get more engagement out of, let's say, Google+. But similarly, there are groups in there. They are focused. They're specialized groups. So if your passion is for uh, getting engagement from automotive industry, then Certainly, there are groups around that. If, if your focus is on industrial cybersecurity or artificial intelligence, 
then there are groups around those. And I think that to Google Plus credit is that it's also coupled with Google. So, so having a search engine that indexes and controls uh, 95%, depending on statistics, whatever, the, uh, of the search engine, it helps uh, some of the entries in that as well. But I, I think that that goes with other uh, social, uh, I think Instagram, uh, in the industrial automation, in the manufacturing sector, I've seen other organizations that leverage Instagram, for instance, to get new customers because the new wave of engineering professionals could be anywhere, just about. Yeah. And for sure, it's like you said, what you put in is what you get out. And, you know, like you, I would say about 90% of my guests on this show has been from Twitter. Wow. That's, uh, it, it didn't start like this way. We didn't, like I said, back in February when we went to IoT World, we didn't go out and say, we're going to leverage Twitter. We certainly looked at LinkedIn. We've had some track record of that, but certainly Twitter proved to be very successful for us. Yeah. Great. Okay. So then let's uh, segue back to what we were talking about. So let's, t- let's talk a little bit about robotics because that is the hottest topic out there. There's so much going on with robotics. So tell me a little bit about the, your experience. Robotics is an interesting area because it's been around for a few decades. And uh, just happened that I was at Automate Show in Chicago and they had their best presence ever. It made me look at say, wow, the manufacturing, it's, it's getting great again. A lot of enthusiasm from investors to companies investing to be present at a trade show versus doing their own thing as a company. And there's a lot of uh, new innovation in that area. Uh, if you look at uh, what evolved out of MIT with, uh, let's say, Rethink Robotics, which set out to, to make affordable robotics for price target about $10,000. Uh, just at a Chicago show alone, just to give you a, for instance, in the industrial automation, in the automotive robots, is nothing new, but it was expensive to get. Well, we're entering an era where ro- robots are getting more and more affordable. There was a robot show walking around, for instance, at the automated in Chicago that could talk to people, interact to people, and avoid collision with people. So if you think about it, you know, how would it change the, uh, let's say, the events if you have a robot that the same robot for under $20,000 list price could actually be plugged in and would basically plug in with, with IBM Watson and give you information as it in, instructs you to go, hey, if you like to go, if you're searching, let's say, in an event, you're searching for collaborative robots, if you're searching for, let's say, uh, uh, startups, you go that way or that way. But we could also ask him, hey, what's the weather going to be at 7 o'clock? Do I need an umbrella? And can you recommend a few places? As it walks you to, towards that area, it basically it, uh, it can essentially be more useful to you. It, it, and, and by the way, it doesn't cost you uh, any uh, sick or downtime. Well, as long as it's working. But what I'm saying is there's no taxes involved. You, you know, that, pers- that, that robot is there every time you're, you're asking questions. So it could change the way the customer service have, the way the you know, companies would have a, a secretary, if you will. Those could, could be taken place and could give you a flyer, for instance, to instruct you on what to do. Like in McCormick Place, there's several thousands of people there. People are handing out, let's say, a magazine. Robot could do it just as well. <laughs> <laughs> Give the government a chance. The government will find a way to tax it. 
Correct. I did. I think I did hear that issue raised as well. What if you don't text robots? <laughs> and you know, it's crazy what's going on now. We have in Dubai, we have robotic police officers in Saudi Arabia. They have the first robot citizen. It, it, it's, it's, it's funny. When I was in, in that part of the world, I, I don't think I've seen a police officer yet. Everything was monitored by the camera. And um, I, I made a mistake, I think it was in Singapore, for instance, where I was walking out of a hotel with the water in my hand and got in a train station. The first day, nothing happened. Yet the second day, there was somebody who was not a police officer, but it was somebody who worked for the train that came and showed me a, a sign where it says, here's the fees that if you get caught with an open container or food on the train. So anywhere from $500 to $10,000, depending on what the type of wow. thing you're carrying on a train. So no food or, or drinks. On I guess train. they don't want to look like New York. <laughs> <laughs> but everything was monitored via cameras. So. Wow. That's interesting. Now, with regards to robots, there's so much fear out there that robots are going to come in and take over everybody's jobs and leave everybody unemployed. I'm sure you've heard that debate before. You know, I've also had the opportunity to, in my entire career, to help automate industrial processes from my early days as a software developer for platforms that would automate things like PC-based control software to basically essentially becoming a consultant and software application engineer where we'd consult with customers how to automate a particular product. And essentially, that's what we're doing. We'd, in a sense, eliminate certain jobs. And if I think back on those early days when I would walk into a process that you could cut with you know, the oil in the air and essentially so much pollution, I would want those jobs to be eliminated and find better jobs for those people because... Yet, while you make some great money short term, it doesn't amount to the, the amount of money you have to spend on healthcare later on. So if you can earlier on take the decision to reinvest in education, that, that's better. So I've read several statistics that automation has not really eliminated jobs in a sense. If you draw the line of the things that you've, yes, you've right. eliminated these jobs here, but it created other opportunities. And I think that's how we have to look and our overall system is, yes, it may reduce jobs here, but those jobs really are better done by a robot. You'd have better performance, better quality on the processes. And those folks that would be doing that, they could be trained to do other things and live a healthier life. They could manage the robots. That, that, of course, that manage the life, keep them running, because there's also maintenance and things that should be done around the robots. Great. So, Lucian. How did you get started in all this? That's a great question. Like I said, it's, it's, uh, you've, I think you mentioned a keyword just in your, your segue, the evolution. So I, uh, I started my career in industrial space with the uh, PC-based control software called ASAP that later merged with Zycom, an industrial computer company, which later was acquired by, by Schneider Electric. I think deep down, I thrive in small to mid-sized companies. So I moved on to manage at a global level a, a product, start OCD, then we verticalized that to uh, ended up getting merged, moved on again, another smaller company, Wonderware, which got sold to uh, Schneider, which had the opportunity to travel around the Schneider Electric, uh, which had the opportunity to travel around the world twice and so an opportunity to educate folks. 
for the last 10 years, I was involved with Cleveland State University and had been and still involved with board of advisors, but also occasionally lecturing there on the computer engineering and the engineering technology department on industrial automation. So that passion for education, seeing this gap of education of what's, what can be done in the industrial IoT space, decided to put this portal together to educate. I also was fortunate to team up with Carolina, whose background, the co-founder of IoT World, whose background is digital journalism. Her PhD thesis was on studying the traditional media with, with digital journalism. So, so that also has helped in getting traction early days on the IIoT world. So IIoT world, again, it was plugged in February. The first three months we focused not on how to make money, but literally bringing great content. We, we, we are, we're confident that, that the rest of it will come. So in a traditional sense, if I would have gone back to my business day, I've got a undergrad in electrical engineering, but also bachelor in, or also master's in business. If I would have gone to a traditional business degree and tried to evaluate back in February how to do all this, that business model would have been changed several times since. So what we did is like, let's put education together and given there's such an opportunity of value creation, how do we educate folks to do that, to, to get started with this? Of course, by providing on a regular basis great content, uh, leveraging Twitter, which went from February to today to about 15.2 thousand people in less than 10 months. Just on one account, which is company's account, but of course the personal uh, Twitter account has uh, grown as well to several thousands. And I think mine is about 5,000 today. And once we've had, you know, over, I don't know, I think it was over 50 contributors from around the world, and we've been to a lot of the different events and we talked to, I think up to today, we talked to over 600 companies where we interviewed and said, what's your biggest pain point? So we realized that cybersecurity, industrial cybersecurity is the major uh, challenge in getting started. So we look, okay, who's who in the industrial cybersecurity? And we provided a report on here's what companies are doing. And I divide that area alone in, in two eras, and I call it the BS era, the before Stuxnet, uh, before 2010, and then the post Stuxnet, uh, the, the virus that uh, uh, took down some of the uh, uranium uh, plants in, in Iran. At that time, there's nobody took anybody serious on industrial cybersecurity. And post 2010, the first three companies are in the space, they got acquired. Now, there, according to CBI Insights, there's 700 different companies doing cybersecurity. And I would say at about a dozen to six, 12 to 16 companies, they're doing quite well. Although a lot of discussion happens at the network level. There's still work to be done in the securing the sensor level and really embedding that cybersecurity at a chip level. And there's still a couple of companies that I'm aware of, maybe more, they're doing in a stealth mode in cybersecurity. So we focus on a major challenge of addressing, putting great education on that. And that got in the radar of various CEOs of those companies. And we started a dialogue and interview process, uh, not videotape, but in, in writing that led to other recommendations and so on. Really nice. I love your story. I love the way you describe delivering value first. And that was your focus and solving problems. And then that brought you to your business model. Right. And I have one of my business advisor. Um, he's, uh, he's awesome. He's the president of Newcore Technology. And uh, 
and he's, I've known him for a long time through Promise Partners, a, a business incubator that fostering business ownership. And he says, well, next time I, I, I'll meet with you, I'd like to have a business plan. And, and I'd like to see your business plan. And, and I did that. I put a plan which incorporates on my business, but not necessarily of how I would monetize IoT world. It was more directional. Here's what I have right now <laughs> that I'm focusing on. Here's all my passion, all my passions, because I wanted to keep him as a, as a Gordon Barr, his name is. And, and I wanted to keep him as an advisor and, and give him what he's asked for him to continue to have the relationship. But I just couldn't, it was very difficult at the time because there's so many moving parts yeah. in, in, in industry as well as uh, how would we monetize? I was at the Economist Innovation Summit in Chicago and had the opportunity to meet one of the publishers that, from the Economist that later became uh, part of, uh, of a, a, was a venture capitalist. Says, I could help you monetize that. He was talking more about franchising and so on. And I really had to look deep inside and say, do I want to go down the venture capitalist route and position all my effort to try to get money or try to bring value that, that the money will follow? And, and this is where Gordon has suggested, like, well, you really have to look at what you want out of life. Do you want to be uh, chasing the money or chasing a lifestyle that, and, and a passion that brings you money? And that's what we decided to go the, the second route, which was more of bringing value to the customer and hopefully, hopefully money will come. And luckily, month four, day one of month four of existence, we started getting a, a verbal promise. And then a, I think it was by the end of that same week, it was the... Memorial Weekend, where we ended up, uh, after an 18 minutes conversation, we ended up getting a second verbal commitment and subsequently became into two customers. That is such a beautiful story. And I know, you know, it's interesting. I had a, a similar experience with my, the podcast that I'm building and many other things that I'm doing where many people were giving me advice that I should be uh, selling ads and uh, doing all kinds of promotions. And I said, no, my vision is to create an educational platform. So I, I'm really connecting with what you're saying. And I'm sure there are many people out there that have these great ideas and that have these passions, but are sort of on the fence as to what point to give in to monetization and you know, do you go down investment routes? Do you do your passion? So I really love what you're saying and the way you're sharing your story. Thank you. For us, it's at least our story. It's been that we had to connect with people and try to solve the problems. And that's why we created these value meals, if you will. So if it's one customer, it works well focusing on getting more awareness, then we focus on that option for them. But if there is a customer that wants both awareness and legion, there's ways to, that we engage to, to deliver that and without sacrificing the educational platform. Because again, just because a company mentions their product or company name in a case study where they solve a major problem, whether it's a, a port of Cleveland, whether it's a manufacturing, whether it's a healthcare facility, and, and they managed to, to, to save a lot of money to the company, that's still valuable to our company to say, I better look at that. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, so I'm on the board of advisors for a small IoT startup, and they asked me a question this week, you know, what should I do if I'm concerned about people copying my idea? You know, how do I handle that? So what I told them was that you need to look into what you believe because what you do, they can copy. You know, it's like Simon Sinek, 
uh, with his book, Start With the Why, one of my favorite books and recommended reading for all entrepreneurs. You know, so people can copy what you do. Like, uh, you know, you have, a, you have a magazine. All right, so someone else can make a magazine, right? It's not, it's not rocket science. But they can't copy why you did it in the first place. And they can't copy your beliefs. So that's the reason why you have to be true to yourself besides the fact, otherwise you just won't enjoy it. And that's what keeps you going. Nobody can copy it because this is your own personal belief and motivation. Now, you're absolutely right Abraham, on this. It's, and it's, it's something that, that from day one, we look at perceived competitors because we never looked at a magazine that does story from time to time, or they were doing at the time we evaluated this from time to time as competitors, but I, but as a collaborator, a potential collaborator that would evangelize this space because it needs a lot more evangelization that if you take all of the players today in a trade magazine and try to educate on this, it's still not enough. And I'm pretty sure there will be new competitors. Again, I'm not looking at this competitor, new entrants into the market that could do this. And there's still a need for that. Um, and to give you, for instance, we in September, we were at a, if you look on paper, it could be a perceived competitor. We were invited to be panelists in, 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 at their event in Chicago with expensive paid. And the idea is that, again, they saw the opportunity. We're, we're, instead of treating us as, as, as competitors, we can get more people from our audience to their event. And I think that's the way I look at future events as well. More collaboration to happen, more education, there's still a lot to be done on securing infrastructure, securing our plans. And the education is key to all of this. And I, and I, I think that if indeed the fourth industrial revolution, industry 4.0, IIoT, whatever you call it, it is about connectivity. It is about collaboration. That's what large companies are, are going towards. Then it needs to happen at this level. And some, companies, some trade magazines are recognizing that as well. Yep, that's a beautiful story. And, you know, it's so interesting how this uh, conversation just took on a life of its own. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lucian, so I, I know you're still in the startup phase, um, but you mentioned several challenges that you went through. Um, so, at, you know, as you were building the business, what were some of the ups and downs that you went through? So it's always a balance on... on where you spend your effort. So bandwidth is, is an effort. Uh, it's a balance between going to an event or leveraging only one or two social media aspects. The other thing that I think some of the challenges that we've had, and we again focus on again, I'm just bringing education, but it's, it's making, and I'm still looking for some technology, they're making a lot of the statistics visible on our site. So if, instead of sending them to Twitter, say, take a look, we got, X amount of Twitter followers or LinkedIn and so on on the groups is to have those real time displayed on our site. But I think that we've, like I said, focusing on bringing education that kind of overweight and we got several other large companies that are inviting us to now be either in their booth or their events. So. Lucian, what keeps you motivated every day? That's, that's a great question. I think it's the, I've always been, uh, avid for information so i always 
you know, even the decision to go down the path of electrical engineering computer option, I remember one of my friends, he's like, why are you going down this path? He was going for mechanical. Your dad is not an electrical engineer. I said, even if my dad would be an electrical or computer engineering, uh, it's not here to help me out. He's 6,000 miles away. So I, I was fascinating about the new things that are coming out. I continue to read every, every day, uh, leverage technology such as uh, uh, aggregators to get the right news that I'm interested in. I don't watch TV uh, because I think it brings me down. I select the news that I watch. Of course, I have to keep at least a moderate sense of what's going on in the world. But uh, for the most part, I try to, to, to select the type of, of, of news that, that uh, I read and spend my time or, or start my day with. You know, that's an interesting topic because that's what we're finding more and more that people are taking back control of their time. So I wrote a speech. I'm actually going to be delivering that speech in uh, next week, actually. Um, and it's about IoT technology. And one of the highlights of my speech is about how time is the new currency. You know, that's what's driving a mass adoption of of uh, the IoT technology, especially in the consumer market, because it's saving people time. And people want to be in control over what they watch and what they read because nobody has time anymore. So the fact that, you know, you yourself, you, as the, as the saying goes, you eat your own dog food, (laughs) right? You know, so, and, and that's another problem that I believe that you're solving is that you're giving people the ability to select and customize their consuming experience of, uh, of news and industry knowledge. Correct. Great, Lucian. So this was an amazing discussion with regards to entrepreneurship. And I'm sure many of my listeners as well as your listeners would love to uh, review this episode because this is full of value. So talking to those entrepreneurs that are looking to build a business, and you know the statistic is that most small businesses will fail within the first year. Where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong and what advice would you have for them? So, I mean, there's many, many uh, uh, factors why entrepreneurs could, could, uh, could go wrong anywhere from not having the passion in the game and from not monitoring the cash flow properly to uh, have to really look, if I were to give an advice, to really look inside and do a soul search. What is your passion? Try to list more than just one because if I'm passionate about sitting on a couch and watch TV, uh, that may work great if I'm also a programmer and you know, if I go in front of Bill Gates, which selects us, if I have, I think his famous saying is like, if I have two programmers that, that uh, have the same skill set yet, one of them is a little bit lazier than the other one, I probably select the lazy one because he finds way to innovate. Uh, so, so again, being lazy is not enough, but, but it's, it's, it's finding the passion um, and, and doing that. So um, because depending on path you choose, if you, if you, if, if, if you choose the path of, of raising capital, well, what if you don't raise capital? Are there other ways to do that? Maybe some of the newer, look at some of the newer funds. And I, I'd recommend, um, I recently came across a book from, from um, Dr. P- Peter Diamond is The Abundance. And I would recommend 
read that book. It's some books on tapes. It gives some new ways to look at raising capital if that's the, cho- the, the, the path you want to choose. Great. You know, that's, that's great advice. You know, it's funny talking about uh, passion. So I once heard a, uh, one of the famous motivational speakers, I don't remember the, his name though. Uh, but you know, w- one of the motivational speakers out there talking about, there was this woman who had a passion for watching soap operas and that's what she wanted to do all day long. And she actually turned that into a business. So she created a magazine, uh, something to the effect of like the soap opera digest or something. At first she gave it out for free and then she started charging money and people would uh, pay her for that. So it's interesting. You could actually make a a working business out of uh, sitting on the couch and watching TV. (laughs) You know, in fact, I think I've met someone at a collision in New Orleans at the conference there that was doing a similar thing. Then he got involved into interviewing the people she had a passion of, of following the artist and she brought him in to to talk and, and became into a, a, a I think you're just talking about 60,000 people per month viewers that's amazing wow. yeah so Lucian this is a, an amazing thing that you've got going where are you looking to take this let's say in the next few years well, you know, we're still uh, in an early phase. Where we're looking right now is to continue to educate. As mentioned earlier, there's some other areas that we would expand in, you know, certifications through, through the partnerships. We already have some ongoing events to, that we're partnering to, to bring people to. But I think that um, we will continue to evolve out of this into a, Right now, it's all digital. We continue to stay digital, and that's the direction to do that. We love what we're doing. We're traveling quite a bit. Uh, we just got an invite to be in Germany at a trade show paid by a large industrial player. This morning, got an invite from IBM to partner on, on our content to be in, on, on an interview with some of their people. So there's a lot of opportunity that combines our passion, not just for the technology, but also for traveling. So it takes us different parts of the world. And uh, I think for right now, for the next three, five years, we'll, we'll continue to do that. But uh, at some point, I also have a baby daughter, so I have to be around and be mindful of her That's school schedule. Priority number one, right? Correct. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, if you could rewind the clock, I normally say 12 months, but I know you're in the startup. You just started up, but let's say, you know, a few months. Um, would there be anything differently that you do? Um, from this perspective, I think it was a bit fortunate that there was a mitigated risk. Um, we, when we started, we looked, we thought maybe this is going to be evolving to getting some consulting gigs out of it, given my industrial background and leverage, and this is a way to get some of those. But I think that so far it's been betting on the right way so far. I don't regret the direction we've gone. Um, I think earlier on, perhaps being a little more open-minded about moving fast, fast towards uh, being um, partners in various events, that, that has helped as well as getting different uh, exposure. But I think that so far we've betted our direction Okay, so it's it's also too early to call again. It's we're we're, I think yeah. next week it's only it's our ten months. Um, so 
uh, we we still have a few few more hurdles to go, but I think sure. it's it's a beginning. It's a good it's a good solid foundation, I'd say. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds like it. And just curious, when you say uh, partner at events, you, you you're talking about things like being a media partner and interviewing. Correct. Uh, coming from from my background, if I look at it, uh, because I was in the engineering and then moved into product marketing, product uh, management role. And I know how difficult it was to get to a C-level. Whereas from media, earlier, earlier days, I was just asking to become a, basically to have media accreditation, right? So I wasn't asking for a whole lot. Now, I'm, you know, at the beginning, I'm not even asking for a media pass. I'm asking, how do we partner to get you success uh, at this event? So it's, it's a different type of question that I'm, I'm asking versus I just want to be part of the event. And now uh, in, in attending the event now, it's like, okay, we're getting uh, um, slots to moderate, we're bringing panels of C-level folks to, to moderate a panel discussion, whether it's in Detroit or New York or, or, or Germany. And, and so that's kind of how it evolved. Asking that question sooner, you know, it's kind of like having those advisors from the media may have helped. <laughs> so getting also, um, advisors from the business itself. Uh, I went first to the friends to be advisor in our business, but also bring an advisor that that's done the media as well. That would, would help as well. Really nice. So Lucian, we have uh, several questions from the audience because this is a really hot topic today, you know, IOT and industrial IOT and security. So we actually have several questions from the audience. So our first question is from Ken Heron. He's the chief marketing officer for Singapore-based Unified Inbox, and he's out of Orlando, Florida. So Ken says, hi, Lucian. There's so many different opportunities companies can pursue right now with IIoT. What do you advise them? Meaning, where is the fastest return for their first dollar of investment in IIoT? Well, first off, hello, Ken, and a great team there, Unified Inbox, um, uh, and, and in Singapore, if I remember correctly, or, or, or at least part of his team is there. Um, but um, I think it depends on the type of industry. If I look at the manufacturer, we talked about the low-hanging fruits in predictive maintenance and predictive analyzing data, getting more insights of the data. I think that's an easy way to get uh, to put a business plan and get ROI. If I look at, let's say, a port of city of Cleveland and looking at how do I get an ROI, uh, of course, there's technology that's, that's now it's approaching zero. If I, look at, if I look at three questions the way people would get, should ask about their organization, how to get started in IoT, it would be three simple questions. What can I do different in my organization as the cost of hardware is approaching zero. And, and this is coming out from one of my friend, Andy, um, from Avid Solutions, but I think it's organization, if I'm not mistaken, but the uh, recent organization. The second one is, is what can you do different as the cost of setting the days approaching zero? And the third, which we've mentioned a little bit earlier on, what can you do different as we move from a CapEx expenditure, large industrial investments available only to a few, to the credit card expenditure. So if you look at it, even the city of Cleveland, if you could put a small device, small sensor that let's say ships would come in and you see where they are at all times, 
what can you do to, as I say, city of, of Cleveland, perhaps, perhaps trucks could be scheduled. They don't have downtime because if there's a delay on a ship, there's all of this happen automatically. You tell the truck come back in two days. You don't have to come there for another two days instead of waiting for it so they can get the load of, of that particular uh, thing. So it depends on, on the um, organization. I think there are different ways to get engaged uh, and, and get started. But the interesting part is, is forming that cross-functional team involving the operational technology professionals as well as the IT is, uh, because there's a need for them to, to, to work together. Having a sponsored uh, uh, executive uh, sponsor uh, behind that so they can drive that. Great. And by the way, I love that use case you mentioned <laughs> about the, the ports. Thank you. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunities uh, in, in, in every type of organization. And, and I think every industry will be disrupted by this new way of thinking. You know, as, as at Sydney, in Sydney, uh, Australia, uh, earlier last March in a meeting with a large mining company, and we were talking about the next gen software. And of course, we managed to get them from going towards 100% in one direction towards another vendor to keep them with us. And then, I, then a question came about, what are you gonna call it? So we told them, he says, wait a minute, our IT will have a fit with that name. So there's still perception that let's say SCADA HMI is old in the mind of, of, of the IT professionals, yet now they have to work together because there is a need to, 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 to get the, that, that knowledge from the IT working with OT, which are the specialists of keeping the plans running, keeping the industrial process. Yet this particular company, like I said, uh, they, they were controlling a, a mining plan from 1,600 miles away uh, because they, they couldn't find enough qualified professionals to keep them in a remote part of the world with perhaps not even a restaurant and so on uh, long enough. To, so they built a, a, a state-of-the-art controls room. They would run that plan from there. The connectivity uh, piece of it, it was key, but also the perception of the two teams. So when you look to bring an IT in front with an OT, is you have to look at different perception of the people there uh, working together or they have been working for several years together. Yeah. And I imagine you're talking about mining, how that's going to disrupt the industry where you send robots to do the dangerous work and you have the people back in, in a safe place controlling the whole operation. That's, that's also an opportunity as well. So that's why I said every industry is about to be disrupted in my mind as these three factors, cost of hardware, cost of data, and of course, the cost of business model. There's the old saying is that nobody got fired for using brand. I'm not going to mention a brand, but there's two or three of them. But now the smaller players are eating their lunch of larger incumbent industrial providers of, of high-tech equipment. Yes, that's so true. So our next question is from Gabor Boyan. He's the CEO of an IoT security company, ThingBlocks, in Budapest, Hungary. So Gabor says... It is a well-known fact that software alone can't provide enough protection. So why is nobody talking about the hardware as the critical or mandatory part of the security solutions for IIoT? Uh, first off, thanks for the question, Gabor. I, I fully agree 
there is a, a, a need of, of more attention on tightening the cybersecurity industrial at a hardware or I go even at a sensor level. A lot of the discussion, in fact, this resonates very well with Joe Ways, uh, which uh, I think he's, a, he's chairman, still the chairman of the ISA 99 Standards Committee. And um, he wrote a couple of books on cybersecurity. He's also in that uh, Countdown to Zero Day book. Long story short, he's always been uh, promoting this, that there needs to be more attention at security at the sensor level, not just at a hardware level, but at a sensor level, which is still hardware, versus just at the, at, at the network level. But I think it's also an evolution. Look what we've come in the last seven years where nobody took anybody seriously about cybersecurity. It took a few events to get the attention. Now you hear companies every day from $2 million to $40, $215 million invested in startups to address cybersecurity. So I think it would be a matter of time. I'm not so sure about mandatory, of course, coming out from uh, uh, Transylvanian village in Romania, a, a closed border communist country. Mandatory things kind of scare me. I think the market will address these things. Yeah. There'll be entrepreneurs that will address those issues. But... Leave it up to capitalism to take care of it. Exactly. <laughs> Great. So segueing on that point, so we have another security question. So Sanjay Jang, he's an IoT investor in New York City. So Sanjay says, despite an incredible scrutiny by the public media, government, and investors, we continue to see security breaches of data leading companies. Do you see a common thread in terms of security gaps? Where is that? And are internal people compromising the security or does the gap persist because of processes and technology? That's a great question. In my mind, from what I've seen so far in, in, in interviewing with various C-level folks or senior executives, it's, it's a matter of time. We've seen what we've, we've come across in seven years with, with now 700 companies focusing on cybersecurity. We've talked about some of the gaps in terms of the hardware or sensor cybersecurity, but I think it's a matter of time to get whether, I, don't, I think there's also still a combination on educating the workforce and also leveraging the latest technology. There's technology today that learns about the network, learns about what's normal in an industrial or critical environment, whether it's a site for water and wastewater, whether it's an industrial process, whether it's a manufacturing of automotive and so on. So it, you plug in a device and learns about the network, and then it kind of provides a list of things when things goes outside of that range for someone to intervene. You can couple that with uh, situational awareness. You can take faster uh, approach on that. But I think it's a combination of educating the, the, the workforce on that, as well as leveraging the technology. And leveraging the technology also takes investment. Uh, and we've talked about how people think that they are invested in this arena, but it's a constant process of improvement. It's not just checkbox, cyber secured, and I'm done with it. It's It's continuously be revising that process of cybersecurity, not just for people, but also leverage, make sure you leverage the latest technology. Yeah. So our next question is from Mark Dressner. He's the CEO of Office Evolution in Hackensack, New Jersey. Mark says, what is going to be the biggest hurdle with the rollout of innovative AI, the technology or gaining the public's confidence and trust? Well, I, I think both of them 
we're approaching a time where both of them are of equal importance and, and, and both of us are getting a lot more traction. So technology, if you look at it, I asked Dr. Daniela Russo during the, she was accepting artificial intelligence and robotics uh, award for 2017 during automate. And I said, for instance, is Aramis car ready for prime time as it is today with the infrastructure we have today? And she says, as long as it's not campus for 25 miles or less, yes, it is. So if I look at it, I just, which I just got a, a, a Subaru for my, my wife and uh, is driving down to take my, my child to daycare. And it has this thing that keeps you in line. Do I trust it now? Uh, literally within a week. Yes, I trust the technology. I look at the Google uh, searches right now and, and voice operators, which leverages AI. And if you look in January, it was 41%. I think I just saw a new uh, study that's over 50% people are asking that question. So we're gaining the trust in the technology to give us today. I asked Siri, what's the weather like in Cleveland? It tells me. I don't have to type it. It just finds it there for me. So we're getting those we put in the trust in the technology to do that. Now, uh, how soon are we going to be in robots that's going to cook our food, clean up after ourselves? It's a, it's a matter of time, but I think those are in the, in the area of R&D of a lot of folks. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with you. It's going to take time, and the trust has to be built. So before you bought the car, if someone would have told you, oh, this car keeps you in the lane, you may have been a bit skeptical, but after using it a week, you've built up the confidence that, hey, you know, it actually works. Exactly. And, and you're absolutely right. I probably, if someone would have been driving the car, I probably wouldn't have gotten the car telling me that, oh, by the way, it keeps you in a line and it also uh, make, it doesn't, it stops in case you get too close to the car in front of you or garage door and so on. But now that I tested it, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. I'm not going to, I would have to say, I still have to be careful, but we're getting to that point. We're getting, we're relying more on this. Too. Yeah. So. Our next question is from Lisa Samataro, who's the founder of Keller Williams in Ridgewood, New Jersey. So Lisa says, IoT connected devices are coming on the market at a massive pace in response to consumer demand. How are companies addressing the security considerations in this nascent field in the rush to get products to the market? So I, I think we're in a much different place where we were, like I said, seven years ago or in terms of cybersecurity, because indeed there's a tension to do that. So indeed there are new products coming up, but there's also technology has changed so they can leverage that and, and put that right into the product. If I talking about industrial process, for instance, you know, the programmological controller, which pretty much is the brain of industrial process, was developed back in 1969. In fact, the founder just passed away a couple weeks ago uh, of that, uh, Dick Morris. Uh, and if you look at that, cybersecurity was not on a radar when they built it because it was isolated machines. Today, there are companies that from the ground up at a cheap level, they are, they are leveraging that technology at cheap level to, to make sure it's secure. Bedrock automation is one of them. I think there are several other ones, including uh, the... Um, the organization in, in Budapest that you've mentioned earlier, and, and, and not to mention other, but Bedrock is, is working on making sure not only the programmable logic controller, the brain of the industrial process, and also some DIO is secure at the chip level. So I think that, you know, if you look at even the CBI insights, they were saying there's over 700 companies in cybersecurity. 
yes, there's still opportunities to do that, to, 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 to improve that. But I do think that as long as it's kept with, with what is available, you continue asking them, it's an opportunity to go a few steps ahead and offer better security than some of the incumbents and basically eat the lunch of large players because you're building a secure from the ground up. So, Lucian, here's a tough question for you. What do you like doing for fun? <laughs> um, so I, I love playing soccer. So every Saturday morning I, I, I play soccer. Whether I would live in California, I found a, a group of uh, folks on Facebook, uh, happen to be Romanian, love playing with them here in Cleveland as well. Uh, wintertime, of course, I love skiing, uh, ice skating, uh, as well as, you know, summer's time, the, the sports, uh, the, the the motorized sports, but uh, those are people that are on the top list would be uh, soccer and skiing. <laughs> Beautiful. So, Lucian, I know you're a busy guy and we're going to let you go, but just before we do, how do people connect with you? A uh, couple of ways. Uh, we are on Twitter. Of course, our handle is IIoT underscore world. My personal one is at Fogoros, F-O-G-O-R-O-S, and also Lucian, L-U-C-I-A-N, at iiot-world.com is my email and thank you for uh, the opportunity to chat with your audience sure absolutely and we're going to put that in the show notes so people can just go right to it and and uh, get right to you excellent so lucian do you have any parting words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience follow your passion beautiful that's great sage words of advice So, Lucien, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your time and your wisdom. I really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking to you, Abraham, and look forward to connecting with you and, and future shows as well. 